Sure hope, Wade, you can hear me. Chris Yao here. Wade Neely. Alongside. Wade, how are you? Mo, uh, Mo, muscle memory. Chris, good to see you, partner. Good to hear oh, from you as right. well. Here we, here we go. I can hear you. You can hear me. Things are going great right now here at Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. First time I've gotten to say that. Wow. Man. Thanks to those folks. They, they're super folks, and we certainly appreciate all that they do for us here. Glad to have you guys with us here on Main Street Sports. Today, Molus hasn't been this way for a while. Not soulless, but Molus. Uh, yeah. And we we will do the best of our abilities to, to carry on without our uh, trusty comrade, but it will be tough, I will admit. Oh, there's no question it's going to be difficult, but we are here. We might as well have fun. That's what I say. Hey, the good news is, uh, you know, we were nervous uh, when Mo said he couldn't make it, but I felt a little more at ease knowing that you were going to be here today, considering that it is, after all, Wild and Wacky Wednesday. So that seemed like a, a natural fit. And when you uh, were saying you were going to join, I was thrilled to hear that then. The weirdest and wildest news from across the world coming your way later in the show, as well as visits with Heather Williams. You guys talked about the Daytona 500 yesterday a little bit. We'll get a little more insight as she was on site for the 500 on Monday. We'll also talk a little bit about what's coming up in Atlanta down in the A. This weekend should be fun. We'll also talk with Joe Sullivan. NashvilleHoops.blog, get a little insight into local college basketball. And he's back with your daily Titans update, powered by Zen Sports. It's Terry McCormick talking a little Titans. And, you know, roster prognostications Mm -hmm. from across the league are very interesting because you've got a a lot of guys who have pretty big cap hits that could end up getting cut that would fit very well here in Nashville. We'll talk a little bit about some of those names and anything else that our friend Terry McCormick may want to bring up. We're going to talk a little bit just before that though, Wade, we've, we've got a quarterback ranking list from FanDuel that we're going to delve into should be fun. So that, and, and a lot more on this show. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fun. Yeah, big, big show. Uh, excited about uh, being Wednesday. The kind of uh, proverbial hump day is upon us, and I'm ready to rock and roll, my friend. I went to the dentist this morning, yeah, and the anesthesia and everything is worn off, so uh, I feel confident that I will be able to, to be somewhat uh, coherent and capable today. I was a little nervous about two hours ago, but now I feel like we're all right. So That's unfortunate. <laughs> this show could have been way better. <laughs> Two hours ago, it was trending in that direction. Uh, it was it was a beautiful setup for Wild and Wacky Wednesday for sure, but uh, that appears to have worn off and uh, regained feeling in the extremities, so we're good. Well, we do have a lot to get to. Let's go ahead and dive right in as we get you yesterday's results and today's schedule. We'll do that on The Rundown. This is The Rundown. 
girls basketball action last night. East Nashville down Whites Creek 70 to 14. It was Harpeth Hall 73, St. Benedict 54. Knoxville Webb 57 29. Winners over Lipscomb Academy. Lausanne falls to Providence Christian 64 32. Silverdale Academy edging Franklin Road Academy 69 66. And the Kings Academy with a 50 to 40 win over Ezo Harding. Boys basketball last night. A lot of these were district championship games. Clarksville 61 is a winner over Springfield's 40. Columbia in a game that Mo was at went over to Coffee County and knocked off uh, Coffee County 43-40. Big win for Columbia as uh, they claimed the district championship there. Cookville a 49-36 winner versus Laverne. Whites Creek squeaks by. I mean squeaks by East Nashville by the count 39-38. It was Beach 58, Gallatin 52. MLK was a 65-43 winner versus Glencliff. 44-39 was the score when Portland knocked off Greenbrier last night. Hendersonville, a 50-44 victory uh, versus Green Hill. Hume Fogg wins at 73-63 versus Lawson. Independence takes care of Brentwood by the count of 53-36. Lawrence County, a game that I was at, they rallied from double digits down in the fourth quarter, and they went at 52-50 to win the District 8 AAA Tournament Championship. Lebanon, a 59-51 winner versus Wilson Central. Liberty Creek knocks off Trailsdale County, 52-40. Franklin, 79. Ravenwood, 60. Rossview was an 89-69 winner versus Kirkwood. In a game that was broadcast on Pulaski Citizen Live, what a game for Alden Slaughter as he powers Santa Fe to a 52-44 win versus Richland in the 10A championship game. And Station Camp knocked off White House last night, 69-54. Final score, a close one. White House Heritage, they dropped Westmoreland by the count, 58-56. Men's basketball, Tennessee survives. We'll talk more about it here in just a moment. 72-67 at Missouri. Freed Hardeman downs Fisk's 91-63. And on the ice, it was the Nashville Predators, 5. The Golden Knights of Vegas, 3. Other scores of interest from the Diamond yesterday, Mo. I went and or Mo Wade. I mm-hmm. went and scouted out some final scores. Alabama downs Middle Tennessee State six to one. Tennessee Tech blanked Alabama AM 10 to nothing. And it was Tennessee in comeback fashion last night. Three to two winners over UNC Asheville. While our friends just to the well. I don't know where you are. I'm in Lebanon. I don't even know what direction Hawkins Field might be, but they fell to Dayton. Did the Commodores of Vanderbilt eight to five yesterday? So interesting day. Belmont down to North Alabama six to two, and Austin P. How about this? Goes to Duty Noble, gets a three to two win over Mississippi State. Wow, big win for the Govs and uh, a no lot doubt. of. A lot of close ball games in big uh, college baseball yesterday. Into our schedule, small schedule tonight, but a schedule nonetheless. We begin with boys basketball. These games are all set uh, for 7 o'clock unless indicated otherwise. Good Pasture will uh, visit Boyd Buchanan. CPA is at Knoxville Catholic. Innsworth is at MUS. Columbia Academy will travel to Notre Dame tonight to cap. Alongside Mo Patton. Uh, Mo, Mo Patton making the, the lengthy trip. Yeah. I think that's probably a 6 p.m. tip local time here. Local time. Yeah, great call there. 7 p.m. over in the eastern time zone there. Other games, uh, college basketball, men's basketball, MTSU will travel to Jacksonville State. We had a good segment with Chip Walters talking about that yesterday on the program. Again, that is set for 6 p.m. At 7 o'clock tonight, Belmont will travel to Drake in an SEC matchup. 
Vanderbilt will be on the SEC Network tonight. That tip is set for 7.30. They will host Georgia Women's College Basketball. MTSU will entertain Jacksonville State in the Glass House in Murfreesboro this evening. I believe that's it. Is that your rundown? Wait, our top story as always is brought to you by our friends at Piggly Wiggly. Now, I don't know if you've had a chance to get over and get some of their delicious cobblers or not, but you should definitely make that a priority next time you are up in Murray County because they do have delicious daily deli lunch specials, meat, vegetables, cobblers, and more fresh hand-cut meats. Great produce, of course, and it's all cost plus 10 at the register. Again, that's Piggly Wiggly. Neely's Mill Shopping Center in Columbia or your local Piggly Wiggly anywhere. So. This tops. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say I've not had a chance to try the cobbler, but definitely it is on the things to do list. I've heard nothing <laughs> but good things, my friend. All of them. It doesn't matter what what flavor, what fruit may be in it. They 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 do not miss. They don't miss very often with the cobblers at Piggly Wiggly. Now, our top story today comes from the hardwood just mentioned it tennessee survives in como 72 67 in comeback fashion was looking ugly early i don't know if you got to see any of it at all since you were of course on hand at marshall county for a couple of games last night uh, but i had to stop watching it at times seriously like it was mm-hmm. just it was so bad at the under 16 minute mark in the first half they took a timeout for the media break. The score was Missouri one, Tennessee nothing. <laughs> Points at a premium, you're telling me. Oh, it was. And the fact that we played eight minutes and there were eight points scored at one time. And the fact that the game ended 72 to 67 may be the biggest upset of the day. <laughs> like, how? How did you score that many points after not scoring at all? for uh, almost 10 minutes of gameplay. Yeah, and you know, that was a game that I was trying to keep a, a little tabs on, uh, just kind of through uh, apps on the web and on social media last night. And yeah, Tennessee, they're down at halftime. And, you know, as you mentioned, the, the points just were not there really for either team in the first half. And I'll be real curious, uh, your thoughts are, are, are kind of just how it unfolded because Tennessee, especially, and Missouri to an extent, like you just mentioned, they erupt in the second half. Your final ends up being 72 to 67. That was the biggest upset of the night. Uh, the fact that uh, the game ends up producing somewhat um, level of entertainment, despite the fact it was a real snoozer to start yesterday. Yeah, you know, honestly, it, it just felt like there was, and there was a moment where Dalton Connect became Dalton Connect. He, he was able to fight through some adversity. I, I'll, I'll just be quite frank with you the officials did not call Dalton connect like SEC player of the year caliber players tend to get called uh, he had to fight through a lot of physicality and and you know in the first half particularly uh, much of the second half I will say the whistles kind of started blowing a little bit in the second half uh, on both sides of the court Tennessee was the beneficiary of that because you know, obviously, the more physical you can play against Tennessee, the better uh, against their offense. But Connect 
finishes with 17 points to lead Tennessee. But I think the biggest, uh, I'm sorry, he did not lead Tennessee because uh, Toby Awaka had 18 and mm-hmm. 10 for the Vols. And, and I think that was probably the what put them over the edge. Uh, Adu had a good day as well with 14. But, you know, if you get, if you can get production out of Awaka and Adu, it's really difficult for teams to match up with Tennessee because they obviously are able to pound you inside for 40 minutes and not have to take a break doing so. And then, of course, Connect will uh, hit something from from long range. But, you know, this is the difference between this Tennessee team and years past. I mean, in the last two years of Santiago Vescovi and Jordan Josiah, James combined for five points and one total field goal between the two of them, Tennessee gets run out of the gym. Uh, yep, this and, is and not the case. No, and that's what I take away from this. Uh, you know, all the talk about uh, Connect is is the guy that is going to be able to get you the buckets late when you need to. And and really, uh, he was kind of held in check by by a large uh, standard of kind of what we've grown to see from him. But he still finishes with 17, like you mentioned. A Walker coming off the bench with 18. Tennessee only played eight guys in this game, and uh, Walker. Awaka ends up with 22 minutes and goes for 18 points. That was just enough of a spark off the bench to guide them through that lull to allow them to power out a win because you are right, Chris. This is a game that in years past, when you wake up and you see Tennessee loses, you're frustrated and you're you're upset, but you're also kind of not surprised because you've seen it play out that way. So in in a sense, uh, Obviously, this is not one you're going to want to hang your hat on, but this, to me, is a nice win for Tennessee on a night when they were not at their best. They were able to find a victory. And that's what you have to do. I mean, that is, you know, once you get to this part of the season, it, it's wins are, you know, tough to come by. It doesn't matter. Uh, again, anytime you go on the road in this conference, it doesn't matter if it's Vanderbilt, Missouri, or Kentucky. It's a tough place to play and a tough place to win. So, should be an uh, it should be an interesting ending to the season. Also, last night, speaking of going on the road, wasn't very easy for the number one team in the country as Creighton downs UConn eighty five sixty six. Just absolutely shot the lights out. Did the Jays to, uh, you know, obviously pad their resume for a higher seed in the NCAA tournament? And we'll talk to Jerry Palm tomorrow about that on the show and see exactly what this means for Creighton and the Jays. But yeah, big win for for Creighton. They were able to knock down a lot of three-pointers last night. Yeah, Creighton, huge win, and this comes right at a time. Uh, 14 threes, like you just mentioned. This comes at a time when everybody had kind of, it felt like, collectively maybe decided uh, or at least it was trending that way, that UConn was the team to beat and was looking like not a runaway uh, to maybe win the title, but looking like they were definitely going to be your odds-on favorite. And it kind of just goes to show I mean, that, they, again, it doesn't. They were negative odds to make the Final Four yesterday. Right. And so that's, that's absurd. What I'm saying. It, yeah. I mean, it just felt like everybody all at once within the last 10 days prior to this game had finally decided, okay, we're not really sure about a lot of teams. This is the one team that we are kind of sure about. And then they go on the road. I know Creighton's a good team, but they stubbed their toe in, in big fashion. And uh, 
you know, UConn still ends up shooting almost 50% from the floor, but they give up 85 points because, uh, like you mentioned a moment ago, Creighton just shooting the lights out from downtown. They shot 50% from downtown. First ever win for the <laughs> Jays uh, versus a number one ranked opponent. And what a shot in the arm for them. And you're exactly right. Jerry coming up tomorrow is going to be a fantastic listen because uh, Creighton could creep up. You know, some folks haven't projected still right on the cusp of a four slash five. Uh, who knows what could happen with them now? They Maybe this is a, a win that catapults them on a little run, and maybe they're a team that ends up in a two or three discussion by the end of all this. I want to throw this stat out at you because I read it earlier. I have not fact-checked it, so I don't know if it's accurate, but I'm going to throw this okay. out there. I read a stat that UConn has not won a road game against a ranked opponent since 2014. That's that seems believable, but also seems mind blowing at the same time, right? Well, yeah, I, I wonder how many times they've played ranked teams on the road. Uh, obviously, and you know, I, I know the Big East is the Big East, and they've, they've they've had some great teams over the years, but it's not like there's nine teams that are ranked consistently in the conference. But yeah, I, and, and I'm sure that they've played. You know, obviously, most of those those teams that they play early in the year are typically neutral courts they're not true road games and that sort of thing but uh, <laughs> i'd be curious to know what the actual record is because it could be like zero and 10 in 10 years or is it zero and 24 i think that makes a difference in the you know, but still 10 years without a road win against a ranked opponent is for for this particular uh, program is just blows my mind that is uh the last win for UConn versus a ranked in a true road game was January of uh, 2014 versus Memphis, who was ranked 17th uh, at the time. And I'm kind of trying to scan here. And I don't know that they have that um, that they have that number. But one, one important stat was uh, UConn had spent six weeks as number one. That was their second longest run in program history, only by eclipsed by the 10-year mark in 98-99. And they've gone on a 9-0 run since, um, since a little run there. And so UConn kind of just showing that just like I said, just when you think you've kind of got this season maybe a touch figured out, it, it kind of just truly goes back to it feels like this year is going to be about as wide open as any other year we've seen. Yeah, I, I can't, I cannot recall a season where I just and, and like you said to to the point of uh, of the betting favorites and and UConn that you know even this team it feels like could get beaten at any point. And, and and so I don't know that I've seen a, a season that is as wide open as this one in college basketball in, in a long, long time. So and that's good for, before uh, we get out of here for a lot of teams, partner. Oh, oh there's no doubt. <laughs> there are some there are some programs and some teams who are going uh, who 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 find that to be uh, fantastic news. Because obviously the tournament, and this is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to be a wide open year, and then it's the tournament's going to be pure chalk. Oh, I, don't, I was afraid you were going to say something like that. I mean, that's just what it feels like, right? It is like it, as crazy as the regular season has been. It, it just feels like the NCAA tournament is going to going to be one of those where there's you know five upsets in the first round and 
know? and those are all like nine over eights or something. So. Yeah, yeah, uh, that'll be good for uh, for Jerry's Purdue guys as um, they can use a year with a lot of chalk uh, after the last couple of March Madness runs for for the Boilermakers. Before we get out of here, uh, some interesting news coming out of the capstone today. Tuscaloosa News reporting that longtime Alabama radio voice Eli Gold will not return to the booth for the Crimson Tide Sports Network in the fall of 2024. The you know he missed the entire season what two years ago due mm-hmm. to a cancer diagnosis. Uh, came back last year. And unfortunately, uh, um, they're the last call of Eli Cold's uh, Crimson Tide career was a an interesting one to say the least. But uh, hate to see him go. But Chris Stewart, who has been the basketball play-by-play guy and took over in 2022 likely to take over the role fantastic voice fantastic guy chris stewart certainly deserves it if that's the direction they go in Mm -hmm. but it will be very weird not to hear the golden tones of eli gold on saturdays on the alabama crimson tide sports network for sure yeah you know and uh when the news rains it pours for alabama fans obviously uh, they don't make the title game they uh see saban depart there's a lot of uh up in the air amidst the program in the off season. And then now maybe the one thing you, you kind of just had at least to hang your hat on and a little um, sense of normalcy, Eli gold, an outstanding broadcaster, a fantastic career. It will, even as a neutral fan uh, feel a little different uh, tuning into some Bama radio uh, next fall and uh, not hear Eli on the call. Yeah. And you know, obviously Eli spent a lot of time in the NASCAR world and that seems like as good of a transition as any, Wade, as we talk a little NASCAR with Heather Williams coming up here in just a moment. We'll take a break, and when we come back, she joins us to talk a little NASCAR right here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. 
Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the pig. We thrive under the lights. The city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Welcome back into Main Street Sports today, presented by TOA of Columbia, Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance here on this wild and wacky Wednesday time. Now, of course, to go to our resident NASCAR expert, and that is Heather Williams wearing her Daytona hat. <laughs> uh, recovering from Daytona hat, I think I would call it. That's okay. I, mean, I, it's okay. I practically became a resident of Florida as long as I was down there. It was, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's never fun necessarily when you have to push the, the race, especially an extra day, but seems like everybody thought it was the best course of action and, and embraced it well. Oh yeah. We weren't racing on Sunday. It poured <laughs> all day on Sunday. I mean, unless we were racing boats out in the lake in the middle of the infield, we were not racing on, on Sunday. So it's funny because uh, did you happen to take a look at the national weather radar on Sunday? I did not. Okay. So I need you to understand that the entire national radar 
on Sunday was clear except for this little strip of rain that went from just north of Tampa right over Daytona and it just circled. Perfect. Yeah. It was it was like it, it was almost as if it was planned that you know what, Sunday's not the day. Yeah. Well, so. you know, sometimes you gotta listen to Mother Nature. You know, Sunday Sunday was not the day. Uh but the crowd I mean Monday was a holiday. The crowd came back. It was a I mean as far as Monday races go, that is easily the best crowd that I've ever seen in a Monday race. So, um, you know, fans still came back and then they enjoyed the race. And, um, you know, it was not until the end, probably the most thrilling Daytona 500, but the last 30 laps were, were action packed with, uh, with a lot going on. Um, the last lap particularly, <laughs> and, uh, unfortunate for fans of, Trackhouse Racing and Ross Chastain, uh, he was unable to get the push he needed from Austin Sendrick and instead got turned around, causing a massive wreck that essentially ended the race. And uh, other than that, though, you know, I, Ross probably has a chance to win that thing if he doesn't get turned around. Yeah, maybe. I, he didn't have a ton of help because, uh, you know, no. he was relying on, on Fords to help him. And then, you know, when it comes down to the last corner of the Daytona 500, there are no friends. But for that last lap, he was going to need some friends behind him to keep him up front. And I'm not sure. I mean, maybe the Hendrick cars work with him in the Chevy thing, but I'm not sure that there were a lot of people around Ross that were going to help him anyway. So, I mean, you never know how those things work out. The last lap of the Daytona 500 definitely creates strange bedfellows, like who decides to push who and who's going to work mm-hmm. with who because you start to get a little bit selfish. But um, still, it was still a good run for them. I mean, they showed that they had the speed to be up the up front the entire time. And, you know, it's kind of the same thing, but a little different at Atlanta because there's less room. So you do make more friends that you might not have made at Daytona. So the fact that he shows that he showed that he was fast, he may have a few more friends this weekend at Atlanta. Heather, you kind of touched uh, to the crowd sticking around and, and it was about as exciting as you could expect on Monday. Uh, I'm curious from start to finish, uh, where does this rank as far as a, a win to kick off really kind of the big city season in earnest for NASCAR? Um, and what are I guess the overall vibes coming out of the weekend in your mind, at least. I mean, I think people were really excited. I mean, I think the, the the energy in Daytona was as good as it was, as good as it's been since COVID. I mean, it really felt like there were a lot of people there, a lot of energy uh, that kind of got lost uh, in the years after COVID with restrictions and then people kind of slow to come back to those kind of events. I think from a NASCAR 40,000 foot view, um, I think they liked that Hendrick Motorsports won. I mean, they are the most successful team in the garage right now uh certainly have probably three of their four drivers are among the top 10 in popular drivers and so when they're trying to bring new fans into the sport that a bigger name driver like William Byron wins with Jeff Gordon's old car number which everybody knows Jeff Gordon I think from a storyline perspective I think that they really like that you know myself liking the underdog I kind of enjoy the Austin Cindric Ricky Stenhouse Jr. storylines Michael McDowell looks little bit better but um you know from a from a just and William was one of the stars of the next Netflix show too so people that were new to the sport knew who he was as well so I think from that perspective uh that was all good for NASCAR and the racing was pretty good um I think the Xfinity race and the cup race 
were not good racing. I think that they need to go back to the drawing board on how to get those guys to not act ridiculous. But um, but the cup race was really good. And then uh, I guess other obviously than, than Byron who comes out of this with the victory, who who were one or two key drivers that you thought um, without necessarily winning the race, maybe won the weekend or, or maybe won Monday in, in a grand scheme of things perhaps? Well, I think his teammate, Alex Bowman, who finished second, you know, Alex was injured last year, missed the playoffs because uh, he broke his back in the sprint car accident and missed about six weeks of racing. Um, so for him to finish second and, and to collect a lot of points early is good. Anyone really that comes down to Daytona and gets stage points and gets, gets uh, you know, finishes the race is in good shape. I think Bubba Wallace is in great shape. Um, he got points in all three stages and finished fifth in the race. So I think that was great for him. I think Corey LaJoy um, had a good race. It was good for him. Um, so I think those guys, oh, and Christopher Bell, uh, who finished third, had a big weekend. He also won um, one of the two duels. So he got uh, playoff points for that, which are always big once the playoffs start. So I think those those four drivers probably came out the best after the weekend. Um, and all th- I think all four of those guys needed good performances for various different reasons. You know, Christopher made the championship four last year and then missed the race at the Coliseum, mm-hmm. missed the show in the ex- exhibition race. So for him to come out and rebound, win the duel, finish well at Daytona, which is admittedly not a good track for him, I think there's a lot for the confidence of Christopher Bell, which could have slid after what happened to them out in L.A. But he came back at Daytona focused and ready to go. Heather, we mentioned that most people were – happy with the decision to of course race on Monday and uh, obviously there wasn't much of a decision to be made but NASCAR makes the decision to end the race post the big wreck there at the end and it seems like most everybody was okay with that as well have you ever seen a NASCAR weekend go with two potentially controversial calls and folks are happy with NASCAR. That doesn't happen very often. I mean, the, the end in the race thing is in the rule book. I mean, they didn't really have a choice in that. Once you take the white flag, the next flag ends the race, whether it's uh, Mm -hmm. yellow checkered or red, you know, next flag that comes out ends the race. So they had clearly start crossed the start finish line when the yellow flag came out. So the race was over. I mean, you could not like that rule, but that is the rule. (laughs) Um, you know, we know that from other sports, football particularly, um, that people don't like rules uh, when it comes to overtime. And NASCAR is probably about the same, but that is the rule. So there's really not that much to complain about. I mean, they last year people were, you know, there were a lot of people who were upset because we tried this like five times. It was like the Daytona, I don't know, 580 or something. Um, it was just three times. But, um, you know, there were lots and lots and lots of research because they could never get back to the white flag. So, I mean, this is the flip side of that rule. And um, it's there for a reason. You don't want endless um, attempts at this because you could go all night. You don't want, you know, they waited a little bit. And I think that's how they, I think, you know, some of the discussion has been how they made it past the white flag was they waited because they didn't want to throw the caution and Daytona is a big enough track that if they're wrecking behind the field and the track's not blocked, you can go ahead and let them race Mm -hmm. and then throw the flag. But um, once cars started end up going sideways and running back up the track and blocking the track, they had to throw the caution or somebody could have gotten hurt. So I think, I think a lot of times people understand that, but I also think to your broader point 
um, that people see that NASCAR is really trying to A, be more transparent and B, be um, a little more proactive in their decisions. Like they made the decision very early on Sunday to postpone. In years past, people would have sat in their car for hours and hours waiting on the rain, hoping there would be a window. Maybe we'll get this in. Maybe we can get to halfway. And NASCAR said none of this foolishness. It's going to rain all day. We're not going to make people sit out here all day. We're going to make the announcement early. People can go to Disneyland in the rain or Universal or go see a movie or shop or whatever they want to do and then come back tomorrow and do this when the weather is going to be better. And it's the same thing that they did by moving the race up a day in the L.A. Coliseum. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that fans appreciate that NASCAR is putting a premium on their time Mm -hmm. and not just their money. Right. By letting them making the decision early, it, it shows that we care about you and your time and we're not going to make you sit out here all day in the rain and twiddle your thumbs. Well, and maybe that maybe that, you know, is one of the reasons that they were able to get so many fans to come back the next day because they were able to extend their, you know, their stay an extra day and not have to worry about trying to find another hotel room or something like that. Who knows? I mean, you never know what what goes into all of those decisions and NASCAR making those decisions quickly. And, 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 you know, obviously it seems to have, you know, been a lot of goodwill toward the the NASCAR folks, which, you know, obviously has been at a premium over the years. Well, I think that you will see that. I think that a lot of this, um, a lot of this change in the NASCAR philosophy is um, spearheaded by Ben Kennedy who is um, the grandson of Bill French Jr. and the son of Lisa France Kennedy. Um, He is and has been for quite some time moving up the ranks in the NASCAR. I think he currently does development. uh, I can't remember, vice president of development or something is his official title. But basically, he does all the scheduling stuff. He does a lot of the public face of NASCAR. He and Steve Phelps are really the two guys whose faces you see out there a lot. But Ben's super smart, and Ben's a former racer. So when he's making decisions, unlike some of these other, and I don't mean to to trash the fresh France family, but recently, you know, with Brian France specifically, Brian never raced. And so he's coming from a completely different place than where Ben is. And I think Ben having raced in the truck series for, I think three or four years and raced late models and all that kind of stuff. He comes from a different place. And I think that that's been good for the sport. And he's young. He's like in his thirties. So I think just having that injected in there and a fresh of the eyes and thinking about things that, that NASCAR hadn't thought about in the past and taking a different approach, I think has been really good for the sport. So they had to like, go ahead. I was just going to say, yeah, so it seems like we get a nice uh, overall good feeling coming out of Daytona, Heather. And then I think where Chris was walking with this is now you get ready to roll right into Atlanta. Uh, How does NASCAR kind of extend that momentum in a positive uh, manner after after a quality weekend, given all the circumstances? Well, I mean... I think the weather looks better for Atlanta, so that's good. Um, You know, it's a very similar style of racing, but a much smaller track, uh, which can be even more exciting because you're running in a big path, but the track's about half as wide. Um, I think they just have to put on a good show. I mean, it'll be, I think it's going to be a real tell of where the sport is based on what the crowds look like at Atlantic. So generally not very good. Um, So... For you know, Atlanta is a complicated sports town, much like LA. There's a lot to do, and the NASCAR track is not really in Atlanta. Uh, it's South Atlanta and Hampton. So you know, if people are, 
I don't think it necessarily has to be sold out, but I think if there's a good crowd in Atlanta following up the great crowd in Daytona, I think that the sport's in a good spot. But even if it's not per se sold out and the ratings are good, then I think the sport's still in a good spot. Um, but I think Atlanta will be a real nice tell of what the fan base is like. And then we'll really get our first kind of look into what the competition is like the following week we go to the to the west coast atlanta and and daytona are such their own unique animals i have no idea which teams are are good i'm assuming william william byron's still pretty good because he won daytona and he was won the championship four won the most races last year but i don't know i you really won't know until they get to those more traditional tracks in a couple weeks yeah atlanta you know over the last couple of years we've talked about it a lot on this show is it, it it essentially races like a super speedway. It's just a smaller track. And so it, it, it does provide some interesting racing and everybody seems to be happy with the racing over the last couple of years since the resurfacing and everything. So, it, it, you know, potentially this, this does have a, a, you know, the potential to be a really, really strong crowd uh, on the hand. So we, we certainly hope to see that the Ambetter Health 400 is Sunday and that will be a three o'clock Eastern event on Saturday night. You can catch the dirt, which is a Motley crew cover band. That sounds like fun, right? Sure. A Motley, a Motley crew cover band, because that's, you know, I want to see a Motley crew tribute band every day. Uh, that, that is, that is the goal. But other than that, <laughs> I mean, we were robbed of pit bull by the rain. That was we the were. most unfortunate um, casualty of the rain. In my opinion is we didn't get the pit bull concert. Ah, that's, that is the worst. Let's be <laughs> honest. That is, that is the worst. So, but yes, yeah, so Sunday, uh, obviously all weekend will be fun in Atlanta. Make sure to, to, to get your tickets if you want to go or just, you know, come back next Wednesday when Heather tells you what happened, if you don't want to watch it. <laughs> or turn on Fox and watch it. You could do that. You know, what else is going on on Sunday? Like football's over. Like nothing. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> yeah, it's football's over till mid March for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something to do. Atlanta seems like as good of a, a plan as any Heather, as always, we appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thank you, Heather. All right. We'll take a break. When we come back, FanDuel decided to make everybody mad. <laughs> oh, so, boy. And so we're going to talk about their what they are calling way too early 2024 QB rankings, where they rank 32 quarterbacks. Uh, I can't say in the National Football League because there are about six of them who aren't in the National Football League at this point. They included... Uh, players that have not yet to be drafted and they projected them to go to certain teams. So yeah, this should be interesting. Mm -hmm. We'll, we'll talk about it on the other side of a break. So stick around here on main street sports day presented by TOA. Be right back. Live under the lights. The city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. <laughs> 
Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. We are back here on Main Street Sports today, presented by TOA. That rhymes. I like where it's going. That's a nice. That's a nice little rhyme there. Hey, you know oh. we've been guilty of it, so uh, I don't feel bad pointing this out. But there's a certain high school uh, that I may or may not have been at last night, and their three point sponsor is uh, the same title sponsor that we have, and mm-hmm. they're still using the old verbiage and. Every time they said the three-pointer brought to you by previous iteration, 
I kind of cringed a little bit, only cringed just because uh, Mo and myself uh, had to sit through that uh, yesterday. We only made it uh, uh, some hour and 45 minutes before we had our first club, so I feel pretty proud of our efforts. But uh, every three-pointer last night uh, for both games, mind you, the PA announcer was a little behind there. So. You, you tap him on the shoulder, hey, did you know? <laughs> I I wanted to very badly, but I was at Marshall County, and, you know. You don't tap him on the shoulder there. Yeah, I'm kind of known in those neck of the woods, uh, somewhat infamously as a Giles County guy. So I try to keep a low profile when I go to Lewisburg. So I hear you. I hear you. Well, FanDuel decided not to keep a low profile in football no. offseason. <laughs> they decided to rank quarterbacks who they project will start for each of the 32 NFL franchises in 2024 thought we might delve into this a little bit. Um, let's, let's start with the top five. Okay. Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, CJ Stroud. Did they get that right? I think the top four are right. I could make the argument uh, for a guy like Herbert, Love, or even Prescott, uh, even Hurts potentially, maybe sneaking in the top five. But I think the top four are good. I don't know that Stroud is right there just yet, but, man, he is close, in my opinion. Is Josh Allen better than Lamar Jackson? In my opinion, overall, top to bottom, yes. Uh, and I am a Lamar fan, but I just think when you put – if you put Josh Allen on a random team and you put Lamar Jackson on a random team, I think Allen would give you slightly better results uh, by and large. And Lamar has got it absolutely rolling with Baltimore, and he was their MVP for a reason, I think, this year. But I think Allen slightly gets a nod over Lamar. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had a problem if they had tied them at two, but I think Allen gets a small nod for me. You mentioned the rest of the top ten except for one name, Matthew Stafford coming in at six. You don't think Matthew Stafford's the sixth best quarterback in the National Football League? Don't think he's number six. Uh, I think he's right there in the top uh, 10, 11, 12. And I like Stafford. And the only thing is, I mean, you know, I was very surprised and pleasantly surprised which how well he played this year. Um, and maybe I'm too quick to write him off because it feels like just a year or two ago we were saying this guy was well beyond his prime and well beyond uh, any sort of uh, top 10 caliber play, but he's, he's kind of pleasantly kind of worked his way back in the conversation there. And um, I expect another pretty good season out of Stafford this year, but it's top six. Eh, I don't know about that. I, you know, for his age, got to be impressed that he's even in the conversation there. No Obviously doubt. last year he had some struggles. I'm not, you know, we, we, you know, there were some injuries and, and of course a lot, was happening in LA, but of course, you know, two years ago they won, they, they did win the Super Bowl with him. So, you know, there, there's that. Uh, I think he, he had a really good year this year, particularly without Cooper Cup at, you know, for much, for much of it. Puka Nakua, of course, stepped up, but Huge. How, how much of that was Puka and how much of that was Matthew Stafford? That's the real question, right? So, yeah, I think Stafford's right there. I I think you could take six, seven, eight, nine, ten, which are Stafford, Herbert, Love, Prescott, and Hertz. Put them in a bag, pull them out, and you couldn't be necessarily wrong yep. with whatever order they came out in. 
I'm with you there. Here's where I think it gets real interesting. 11 through 15. Come on. Trevor Lawrence at number 11. That is perhaps my personal biggest gripe. I don't think Trevor Lawrence is anywhere that near that close to the top 10. Uh, I'll give you time to respond. The, your thoughts on that particularly. No, I wanted you, you were cooking. I was, I was going to let you, uh, well, go I was going to, I was going to keep going with Caleb Williams, who they have prognosticated to the Chicago bears. I, I think Chicago is going to take him. I don't think he's the 12th best quarterback in the league without taking a snap. It'd be real hard for me to put, you know, Caleb Williams at number 12 over at least two of the people ranked behind him. I'm with you, partner. I don't think uh, he would have to come in and just absolutely knock my socks off before I'd be okay with him being the 12th best uh, or better, I suppose, QB uh, in the league. And I just, I'm just, I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it, but I just have a slight sense that he is not the absolute number one slam dunk home run high, uh, hit that everybody seems to think he's going to be. I think he will be potentially a very, very, very good NFL QB, but I don't think that he's just this absolute rock star number one overall selection once in a decade type prospect that a lot of folks kind of seem to agree that he is. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. I mean, the the one thing he has over the two guys that I kind of equate him to is he's he's bigger. Uh, he he's a bigger version of Bryce Young, a bigger version of Kyler Murray, and I think he does have. I think he's got the tools. Now, of course, being in Chicago, that could make a difference. We'll see. These two names right here are absolutely one hundred percent incorrect. Okay. Jared Goff is a better NFL quarterback than Geno Smith, and I would put everything that I own on that projection. Are you There's basing that off? Uh, zero, just zero chance that if I had an NFL, if I had my druthers of NFL quarterbacks, that I would choose Geno Smith to be my quarterback before I would choose Jared Goff. And I'm not saying that Geno's bad. I'm just saying that Jared Goff is significantly better than the three guys ahead of him, Trevor Lawrence, Caleb Williams, and Geno Smith. Jared Goff is in the top 10 grab bag for me. Goff at his best? I think so. Uh, and for me personally, I think we saw glimpses of him being potentially close to at his best last year. Uh, but it also makes me a little nervous just because it feels like if we saw him play at such a high level last year, does it mean we're going to see – a regression to the mean next year or yeah, is he going to continue this? Because I'm with you. If he's playing at his absolute best, I would agree that golf should be ranked ahead of Gino, which is again, not an indictment on Gino. Cause I think is capable of being pretty solid as a QB when he is playing at his best, but he's not at his best consistently enough uh, to be ahead of golf. In my opinion. Yeah. Uh, I, I would, I would put both of those guys ahead of a uh, out of, ahead of Lawrence and Williams. Uh, Aaron Rodgers at 15, Kirk Cousins at 16, Brock Purdy at 17. Now, I have been 
I've made this statement and I have credited it to Ron Seleski enough times that everyone knows that it's a Ron Seleski quote, but I 100% agree with it. There are only 14 or 15 people in the entire world who can play the position of NFL quarterback at a high level at any given point in time. I think this list proves that. I think when you get to the Kirk Cousins, the Brock Purdy's, the Kyler Murray's, that's when you get into the decent but not uh, not elite levels. And like you said, much like Jared Goff, any of those guys have the potential and ability to be, you know, top 10 level quarterbacks, but very rarely do they do it consistently. And the interesting thing is you got a guy like Tua or Purdy, I suppose, to that extent that was kind of lurking in the MVP talk for a good chunk of the year last year. And then it kind of just is a little striking when you see those guys, especially Purdy, who obviously we saw two weeks ago in the Super Bowl, now ranking in the bottom half of your quarterback list. Tua Tungavaloa being at 19 behind Kyler Murray may be worse than Jalen, or may be worse than Trevor Lawrence at 11. This is absurd. Right? I mean, I can't be crazy for this. I don't necessarily think so. I think Kyler, when he's playing at his peak, is uh, borderline a top 10, but I just don't know that, that we're going to see him return to that level uh, in his current situation and, and kind of with the roster he's got there. And I mean, does Kyler Murray need to be at a, in, again, uh, on a better team? I, I just I don't think Kyler Murray's a very good quarterback. I'm I'm slowly uh, begrudgingly because I was a big fan. Uh, I'm kind of begrudgingly agreeing with you in that sense. That I mean, Tua Tua is the real head scratcher to me because again, this is a guy that was on pace to put up just crazy, just eye popping numbers, and looked like at one point he was going to be a runaway for the MVP award, and then now it comes down to a crashing uh, halt uh, for the Dolphins here, and he's sitting here just one off of the top twenty according to this list. If you if you put Tua on Arizona and Kyler in Miami, do they have similar numbers to what the others putting up right now? You know, when you say it like that, I'd say probably yes. I think so too. So maybe that's not as bad as I think that that could be a a product of just where they play. Uh, Justin Fields, they have projected to be the Steelers' starting quarterback next year. What do you feel about that? I feel like if that happens, I'm giving Fields a very short leash in terms of my just personal uh, judgment, I suppose. Mm -hmm. I still think there's some potential there, whether that was those weird games that we're, whether that was those weird games at the end of the year, you know, Chicago made that crazy run, almost ended up playing their way into the playoffs down the stretch and Get him with a Pittsburgh team that has a winning pedigree and somehow just finds a way to win. They can't really probably do much worse at quarterback than what we've seen from them the last couple of seasons. I might buy the hype a little bit if Field somehow ended up uh, in black and gold or black and yellow, excuse me. All right, we're out of time, so we'll do this. Number one, Drake May projected to the to the Washington Commanders at number 21 ahead of Anthony Richardson of the Colts. Jaden Daniels projected to the uh, the Patriots at 23 ahead of Baker Mayfield. Deshaun Watson and, Dar- and Daniel Jones both ahead of Michael Penix Jr., who is projected to go to the 
Broncos. Yeah. Followed by Russell Wilson of the Raiders, Derek Carr, Bryce Young, J.J. McCarthy at 31, and he is projected to go to the Atlanta Falcons. And I noticed that there's one name I have not mentioned after 31 teams. Who is that? FanDuel says that the worst quarterback in the National Football League as a starter is Will Levis. I just I can't I can't wrap my brain around that part. Cannot cannot in in no way shape form or fashion. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. This is engagement farming by FanDuel. They wanted Titan. It's almost like they made this list and was like, oh crap, I forgot about the Titans existing. So let's just throw Levis in there at the end because that's national media for you. All I'm going to say on that is there's a comment on uh, Twitter and it says Will Levis and they run the clip from him out at the Pro Bowl where he predicted the uh, flop on the uh, poker hand they said if this man can predict the flop there's no way you can have him ranked 32nd uh in your rankings so that's really all the point that i needed to see there you go and that's exactly why our next guest is presented by fan as presented by zen sports and not FanDuel because these people are nuts terry mccormick joins us for his daily titans report right after this on main street sports today presented by toa stick around Live under the lights. A city of performers. Putting on one heck of a show. Headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia, where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. I'm Maurice Patton, and on Main Street Sports Today, we bring you the voices of your favorite teams from preps to pros. Um, otherwise known as the VOT, Mike Keith. The, the bottom line is, we can teach Will Levis woke. I just don't know who's going to work with you on your base stealing now that he lies. <laughs> well, that has nowhere to go but up. And I was just like, oh, guys, not again. Can we just bury that, burn that footage, and not bring it back? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll uh, we'll keep it going past the All-Star break. And uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out. There's always a good story to tell. Can you guess where I am today, Mo? Where, where am I? It's, it's Reece not Smith Reece Smith Field. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Anytime you play Chicago, you want to win. That's you, just you got that right. And when you're walking the dog, you keep the bags that you need for the dog in the bag and you don't even have to wear it. You can just hold it, which is what I do when I walk the dog. So I think I think the fanny pack probably needed a little rebranding. <laughs> it did, so, it really did. Um, it, 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 it. On your show logo, 
we've got to get a puck in there. There's a basketball, there's a football, oh. there's a baseball. Maybe mm-hmm. if not a puck, how about Mo brandishes a hockey stick? Tune in daily at 2 p.m. on Main Street Media TV. We're back here on Main Street Sports today, presented by TOA. I've made it one whole hour holding this microphone, and <laughs> it has not been easy, I will, I will say. But looking forward to this next segment as we bring in Titan insider Terry McCormick joining us now for your daily Titans report powered by Zen Sports. Terry, how are you? How are you guys? It is your daily Titans report. And it's powered by Zen Sports. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not ready to declare Will Levis the second coming of Tom Brady, but uh, I certainly don't uh, get being ranked number 32, especially when you've got some guys that haven't taken a snap in the NFL yet, and you've got uh, some guys like Anthony Richardson and uh, Bryce Young who either were limited in their rookie year or abjectly terrible in their rookie year ranked ahead of him. So, you know, it's – Sort of like, you know, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder, as they say, I guess. It's absurd. It's what it is. But, yeah. Anyway, Titans are getting ready for the combine, and they will not be looking for a quarterback, it appears. No, they will not be looking for a quarterback, but they'll be looking for a lot of other players because uh, there are lots of holes to fill on this team, whether it's on the offensive line, whether it's at wide receiver, at cornerback. And it's going to be interesting to see how this new regime kind of does things in, in terms of that, because trying to keep the sun out of us here, the guys out of the shot. Tough. There we go. Tough. That's Will Levis shining down. Much success. How's that? Is that better? There yeah. we go. There we go. All right. Anyway, back to the topic. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how different Brian Callahan and his staff go about evaluating players because I'm, as far as Rand Carthon and the scouts go, their mission really hasn't changed. They're, you know, when Rand Carthon took the job, I think he basically said, my job is to get the players that Mike Vrabel wants that he can win with, that fit what he does. Well, now that's out the window. And with Brian Callahan here, then Rand Carthon and the scouts' jobs is to find players who fit what Brian Callahan likes to do, which is be – more offensive minded, which is to, you know, have linemen who maybe are better at pass blocking than run blocking, which is receivers who maybe are not necessarily big and physical like at the point of attack, but don't run very well like the Titans have kind of had for the better part of, you know, two decades. But more faster guys, guys who can take advantage of the fact that Will Levis can throw it a mile and can maybe run under it and catch it and get him away from that number 32 ranking when these when this thing comes out next year. Yeah, and Terry, as we go into the evaluation process, um, safe to say that offensive line is probably, whether it's in the first round uh, or shortly thereafter, going to be some sort of focus. You made a great point. Um, how does that process go when grading linemen as far as we may really like what this guy presents, but he is really more of a run blocker uh, specialist or this guy, we like what he does, but he's more of a pass specialist. If you would, I guess, kind of just walk me through that process when grading the linemen and how they kind of identify the criteria they're specifically looking for as a, as a unit. 
Well, I think grading offensive linemen as a whole has gotten harder because, you know, the way the college game has changed. More teams now run out of the spread. They run some sort of shotgun system almost exclusively now. And offensive linemen are not asked to do as much run blocking as they used to be. And I think therein lies part of the problem that the Titans had finding good run blocking offensive linemen because they didn't do it in college a lot. It was more, you know, drop back, pass protect, and the run game was a complement to the pass game. Well, now, in some form or fashion, under Brian Callahan, it's not going to be a spread per se, but it's going to be a a version that, you know, is pass dominant. And it's going to be one where the offensive linemen that they bring in will need to fit that pass scheme. And I think there are probably more of those guys now than there were 10 years ago uh, as you look to evaluate alignment uh, things like you know big hulking tackles who you know are road graders and guards who are road graders and tight ends who are basically a six lineman those things are have fallen by the wayside coming out of college and they're harder to find so now you know you're looking at a tight end as opposed to being a sixth offensive lineman he's basically a hybrid a big wide receiver a guy who's six four and about 260 and, uh, you know, makes plays like a George Kittle or a Travis Kelsey. So those are the types of players now that you're looking for. Speed on the outside, uh, a tight end who is, you know, can block but is more of a pass catcher, and an, uh, an offensive lineman who can pass protect. And I think, you know, with the college game going where it's gone, I think mm-hmm. the pro game has got to kind of follow suit there. Terry, also uh, I'm curious, and this is, I guess, no real way of knowing this, but kind of trade secrets. How does the process look like when team, whether it's the Titans or or some other squad, when they get to the combine and they either are blown away by somebody that was not necessarily on their radar or they identify somebody, we absolutely kind of want to get this guy, but maybe everybody else is kind of in on the secret too. How does that process work now? Kind of keeping your uh, affection, I guess, as it were, for a a performance at the combine kind of under wraps until the draft. So you kind of maybe don't give away your secret there. Yeah, I think what you have to do there is you you know you have to trust your scouts and your your evaluation of the film, their meetings with the guy, and then if you find a guy that absolutely fits, maybe you have a little higher grade on him than some some other teams do. Maybe instead of a third round pick to some team, maybe he's worth a second round pick to you. I'll give you a a good example of that. Most people had Kevin Byard a late third, early fourth round pick. The Titans, when they took him in 2016, they fell in love with him. They knew he was their type of guy for what they wanted in the secondary as a playmaker and as a leader. So they said, well, we're not likely going to be able to trade back into the third round without giving up something if we don't take him with the first pick of the third round. So they did, and it worked out. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it's called a reach. And then it's also a lot of times called a draft bust because, you know, the very next year, the Titans were in need of a wide receiver. They were sitting at number five. They took Corey Davis. Corey Davis would have been a fine player as a second round pick. But when they took him at number five overall, put too big expectations on him and he didn't live up to those, even though he was a decent player. He never became the number one type receiver that you would expect picking fifth overall. Yep. Terry, maybe tomorrow we can get more into that guy you just mentioned, Kevin Byard. But for now, we will say thank you and look forward to talking to you each and every day. Thanks to our friends at Zen Sports. So why don't you tell us about them? 
All right. Let's talk about Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee that's bringing sports betting to a whole new level, literally with their new boosted same-game parlays. When you sign up for Zen Sports, you'll automatically earn up to a $1,000 no-danger first wager. If your first bet loses, you'll be reimbursed for the amount of your bet up to $1,000. And now Zen Sports is offering 10 boosted same-game parlays for NBA and NHL every single day. That's 10 bets, each with a 10% boost, and you can bet on every single one of them. And there's even more good news. Zen Sports offers a one-of-a-kind VIP rewards program. If you qualify, you'll earn monthly comps at sporting events, concerts, you name it, even sportsbook bonuses. The VIP program is by invite only, so if you feel that your Zen Sports play qualifies for VIP consideration, check out the program details and apply at zensports.com slash VIP. So what are you waiting for? The daily same-game parlay boosts go quick, so get going and download their app at zensports.com today. Zen Sports, betting just got better. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. No danger of first wager. Limited to plus 500 odds to qualify. Boosted odds are derived from equivalent parlay bets offered in Tennessee. Must be 21 and older and in Tennessee to bet. All right, we continue here in segment four on Main Street Sports Today, presented by TOA of Columbia. And now we go to our weekly visit with NashvilleHoops.blog, owner, operator, uh, general gopher, and everything else, <laughs> Joe Sullivan. Joe, what's up? Good afternoon, fellas. Hey, is I, have I have a question. I have a question. Zen Sports. Do they they take uh, horse racing bets? You know what? Let me check the app. That's a good question. Because you got I'm, something uh, you need to share with us, Joe? Oh, Joe is well, a Joe's a big big sports guy, big uh, horse guy. Yeah, I love bet, betting on horses, and uh, I, I I really to bet on. Oh boy, maybe they'll come arrest me. I don't know. To, to keep my wagering count, I have to lie and say I'm still living in Massachusetts. Yeah. yeah I, I don't think that they take horse racing bets here in Tennessee. Uh, we can, I'm, we can chat, maybe uh, try to, I'm trying to get legal again. Yeah, We can, well. we can chat offline. I can uh, pair you with some people, uh, real nice, friendly <laughs> people, Joe. I'll tell you what, man, you know. <laughs> yeah. No doubt. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Joe, big week last week for – College basketball teams here in the mid-state. Mid, mid, Middle Tennessee State just refusing to go away, huh? Uh, where's Mo when we need him? He must be uh, so happy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That they, uh, they they have three in a row, and uh, they actually uh, played well. Oh, that game Saturday night. Were, were, were either of you watching it or at it? or? Oh, I watched it. I watched I, it. it. It was excruciating, wasn't it, to watch? I mean, it, it uh, a double overtime game with Justin Porter scoring 41 points should be like peak college basketball excitement. And it was just a drag with all the delays, reviews, timeouts, uh, too many timeouts given to teams in overtime. Uh, don't that get is, many. That is the problem with college basketball that I right now. Any game that's close takes – Two and a half hours to finish. Yeah, it's just too much. Are you in favor of the Elam uh, ending, Chris? 
Do you know what I'm talking about? Go ahead. The Elam ending, do you know that? I don't. So the Elam ending, they've they've used it in that – uh, a summertime tournament where uh, like graduates of the same college play together. So at a certain point, uh, you oh you go to the, the score. Left, yeah, you if the if the, if a team reaches this score, the game's over. Yes, I'm in favor. And, yeah, and it's just uh, when you when you watch games like that, you you think that maybe we should go to the Elam ending uh, because it can be. It actually ruins the excitement. So what should have been a fantastic victory for. Uh, for Middle Tennessee, overcoming uh, twenty-five turnovers to uh, yeah. win, and uh, they they had fifty-two turnovers in two games against Utah this year. That's <laughs> it's unimaginable. That's enough to put Nick into like the psychiatric ward, isn't it? It's uh, you'd think fifty-two turnovers. Holy cow! That they won doing that, it just it just doesn't even seem possible. But uh, you know, I, I can't say. Now we, you and I sat next to each other, Chris, when they played Jacksonville State and beat them. Uh, right, that was the game we saw. That is the game we saw. I don't. And think the that's who they have Thursday. That's who they have Thursday night, but they're going that's to tonight. Alabama to play them. Uh, it's tonight. Was oh, it? It's tonight. Uh, so if if they really sort of have uh, regrouped well enough, uh, a win at Jacksonville State will tell us that's true. I think you're right. They've won five of their last seven with those two losses tucked in the middle at Western and at Liberty, two tough places to play and win. Jacksonville is a six-and-a-half-point favorite tonight if uh, if you are so inclined to utilize Zen Sports. Uh, so, Dude, that number's good. a big number. I don't know. <laughs> Six is an interesting number on the road, and, and Jacksonville has played well at home most of the year, so – I'll be interested to see how how this one plays out. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, obviously, Middle could certainly use the win, and the, the standings right now in <laughs> in Conference USA are kind of messy. I mean, outside of LaTeX, Sam Houston, and Western all sitting there at the top, I mean, Middle's got just as good of a chance to be top four as anybody. They do. They're only a couple of losses uh, behind the, the top teams. It's uh, – it's wide open to say the least, and uh, but they're going to have to win a game like this tonight to uh, get back in the mix. So we'll see. I I, I can't say uh, I expect them to win tonight. I just I mean they haven't <laughs> won on the road all year, so it would it would be really a reversal for them. To yeah, do if they that. if they win tonight and then obviously get uh, Western coming to town on Saturday, it seems like tonight is really kind of. Uh, since we've kind of gone down the road, you kind of chance to uh, put all your chips in the middle, so to speak, and maybe sell out for a victory tonight, because then you know you have Western coming to the uh, to the crib on Saturday. And I tell you that that would have Mo wearing his uh, MTSU hat proudly if they were able to win two this week. He really would be he really would be pleased, wouldn't he? Oh, he, he, anytime he can hold an MTSU win over Jack State over me is going to be good. And then of course getting a win over Western. <laughs> A win over yep. Western will, will will make all of that. That may actually save Nick McDevitt, Mc, Nick McDevitt's uh, not job, but his reputation within the city. Yeah, yeah it's difficult to speculate on uh, jobs. This has been a, a, a disappointing season for them. They had a big injury at the at the beginning of the season, and they and they they really never recovered from it unless this. Little streak here is the, is the beginning of recovery that it took them this long. We'll, I guess we'll see. 
Joe, while we're talking uh, mid-major hoops here, uh, what can you tell us about Belmont? I'm reading your feature post here. Big game coming up versus Drake, uh, a team that's tied with San Diego State for the second longest active winning streak in the country right now, 19 games. Yeah, it was. in fact, it was the longest until Houston won on Monday night. Uh, then now Houston has won 20 in a row at home, so they have it alone. But those three teams were tied uh, uh, before Houston won on, on Monday uh, against Iowa State. Uh, and, uh, this is, I, I see this as a possible season changing, uh, game, uh, where they've won, they've won, uh, four in a row now after we sort of were, thought the season was drifting away. Uh, they were, they, they could push forward to, a uh, at least a buy into the quarterfinals of the, uh, MVC tournament if they kept winning and it's, and it could start tonight. If they win at Drake, breaking their winning streak, that would really, uh, show there's a lot of momentum has changed at Belmont, uh, and they you know they're just playing much better with Jacoby Gillespie back from from uh, injury where he had the broken wrist, and he he just makes such a difference to them. He's he's really a key player, and I, I have a vote in the uh, MVC uh, you know uh, All Star teams you know Player of the Year etc. And I, I think I know who four of my first teamers are in the MVC. And I'm like holding the fifth spot. Because I want, I'm going to wait to the last minute to see if uh, Jacoby Ellsbury can convince me, despite missing eight games, that he would deserve a spot first team uh, All Conference. And that's a, that's a, that's a debate you could have about any sport. About it. if you miss that many games, should you just be disqualified? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I, I, I'm not sure. Uh, he's made such a big difference. It's almost like we could put the valuable tag on him, the MVP for sure, couldn't we? Yeah, no question. Yeah, and, and you know, and, and Belmont comes into this game just outside of that top four in the MVC. The problem is that Belmont's schedule remains with at Drake, and then they get Missouri State at home. Then it's at Murray, which is never an easy trip, and then of yes. course Evansville at home. Meanwhile, Southern Illinois has Murray at home. They go to Evansville and Bradley, but then they get Northern Iowa at home. And that seems like a much easier easier. road to hoe if you are, if you're the Salukis. So, well, you know, Belmont really needs to steal one and doing it at Drake would be a massive, massive steal. I think realistically, if they were to finish three and one, that would be great. Uh, and then they would be uh, 19 and 12 and uh, 12 and 8. And better than expected considering what happened when they had the, the down part in the middle of the season when Gillespie was out. Uh, but I, that probably would make them fall short of that uh, top four is what they need. Absolutely. And Joe, kind of wrapping up uh, some of the mid-major discussion Um just seems like TSU is not going to be able to get it together. I was hopeful of when we had spoke a couple of weeks ago that uh, they would really get things rolling in. They had that horrific loss to Tennessee Tech. And then you throw in uh, a, a stub of the toe there versus Western Illinois. Any chance of hope or any sign of optimism for TSU as they kind of come down the stretch in the OVC? If I were a TSU graduate, I would be so disappointed over these last two games. It really is uh, – it's – Devastating to the season. I, I just think they're done. I think that we, we had. I, I can't give uh, anyone hope for Tennessee State after these last two games. It's really uh, critically bad, is what happened. And uh, 
And now they have home games left. So, uh, but they're they're not going to make the top two, which is really key in that league. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. the league is falling apart. Morehead State mm-hmm. has lost three yep. in a row, and coming back to the field and look at the opportunity that was missed there. Uh, I, I think the team to keep an eye on in, in the OVC is uh, UT Martin, who just beat Morehead State, uh, and they look great. The one time I saw them went beating, they won at Tennessee State. And looked great that night. So I, I, I thought Moorhead was head and shoulders above everyone, but that's no longer true. They really hit a, a, a down part of their season too. And I think UT Martin is the one with the bullet going up. And How Tennessee about that? State not. That's what we like to hear, though. Our friends from uh, the Catfish Capital in Martin, Tennessee. Well, see that, Chris, I'm still such an outsider. Explain to me the catfish capital thing. Uh, if you want catfish in this state, there's no better place to be than in Paris, Martin, anywhere over there near the Henry County area. You won't find are you, better catfish are you, anywhere. So are you catching them, do you mean, or eating them? Both. <laughs> How about that other catfish thing where you like reach in the riverbank and pull them out? Uh, what, what that, that's called uh, noodling. Noodling, yes, thank yeah. You. <laughs> and and I'll tell you a, a wild story when it, you know how Texas A&M has gigum and you know, everybody's got these little two word things. When I was in school, my, <laughs> my my buddies thought that we should say noodle them. That was that was their their idea of a of a war cry and i didn't that that did not stick because that would but tonight at memorial jerry stackhouse gets another chance it's a pick them essentially vanderbilt a one-point dog at home against georgia can the commodores get it done that so they have two games left that could possibly win this one and lsu at home uh, I think it's next week. And uh, I would say they ought to. If they don't, it's just uh, more pain. I mean, that that game, they come off the Texas A&M game where they played pretty well and they upset Texas A&M, who, different topic, but if that team's in a sixty in the field of 68, forget it. That There's no way Texas A&M should be in the field. And, uh, and then now back to Vanderbilt. Uh, sorry, I, I took an exit ramp there. It's okay. It's uh, Vanderbilt that lost to Tennessee. Holy mackerel! That's really embarrassing, and I think it really uh, indicates how far away they are from being competitive, even in the SEC for the most part over an entire season. Yes, they've you know they've they beat Texas A and M, they beat Missouri, but uh, they're just not competitive. And uh, maybe they'll beat Georgia tonight, uh, but I think. Uh, if we were had opened an account on Zen Sports, uh, I might like uh, uh, given a, you get uh, minus one Georgia, right? Georgia is minus one. That's correct. Man, hmm. how many teams are in Division One basketball, Joe? Oh, you're going to get three fifty two. I think maybe three fifty something. Yeah, something Vanderbilt like right is there. Vanderbilt is three hundred and thirty third in points scored, and they are three hundred and fifty second in field goal percentage. Yeah. Dead last in the country at 39.3% field goal percent. Dead last. Can't win if you can't score. Well, you're on to something there. <laughs> uh, it is, uh, look, they just need better players. 
It's it's that's where it starts. So if Jerry Stackhouse comes back, they've got to recruit uh, better, and they've got to uh, starts with the transfer portal. It can be done mm-hmm. out of the transfer portal. Uh, it's look like so much of this uh, evaluating whether it's the NFL draft or the NBA draft. It can be hit or miss, but it, there can be successes. And Dalton Connect at Tennessee is one of the big examples of a great success. Uh, they need to make some a couple of hits in the transfer portal. Uh, and then hopefully some younger players will develop too. And then they need to recruit better freshmen. It's uh, there's That's the only solution is it starts with better players. I think it's – I think most people accept that Stack's a good tactical coach, uh, but that can only go so far. Joe, as we uh, opened our show here, we we talked about Tennessee and, and gritting out a win last night versus Missouri, but we also mentioned UConn uh, and them falling last night. And I kind of had made the point, seems like we had just kind of gotten around uh, as a society of almost thinking we maybe had it figured out that, yeah, maybe UConn is just going to end up being the best team this year. And then well, they were. They get, they, you get blasted last night versus Creighton. Did, how much of that uh, loss last night did upset the apple cart and where do we kind of uh, assess both of those teams, I guess, potentially, or the landscape at, at large after this? I think it's just, it's basically dangerous on the road. And Creighton is a, a, a nationally ranked team that was playing at home with a good home court advantage. You know, they, that's a big arena that they fill all the time. And those fans are, are uh, very loud. It's a tough environment to play in. And then they, and then they shot very well. So, uh, I think it's a case where uh, we had a team playing at its best and, and maybe UConn playing at its worst, and that's where you get that type of margin. Uh, I think when we get to the postseason, now we're talking about neutral courts, so that mm-hmm. we lose that aspect of it. So I, I don't think UConn uh, should be too concerned uh, about that loss. I think these things happen along the way. They're still one of the five best teams for sure, if not the best team. I'm being sort of really erring on the side of caution by calling one of the five best. Uh, is Purdue better than them? Uh, if you go by resume, as it, as it's compiled by the uh, NCAA Selection Committee, I think uh, Purdue's resume is better. But uh, I think most people might like UConn at their best more than Purdue. Yeah, Ken Palm, uh, Houston one, Purdue two, UConn three, Arizona four. Uh, it seems like some mixture of those. Uh, will be the ones that we'll be kind of uh, keeping our eyes on. And then uh, Chris and I also discussed in that first segment, Tennessee seems like that was a game that even as recently as maybe even last year, that some some way, somehow they just, you know what, they don't find a way to win that game. And to me, it spoke in a weird way. They're not going to hang their hat on that win at the end of the season by any stretch. But to me, it seemed like it could be a little bit of a rallying cry for this year's UT team. Well, it's a good point. It's definitely a game they would have lost, I think, the last couple of years, and and that's when Dalton Connect delivers the offense they need. That was a that was a, uh, a very important addition. I mean, we you know we've said that all season, and he's he was great when he had to be uh, in the second half when that game was in the balance. Uh, and uh, boy, I love watching him play. Just his uh, his shot is so fundamentally sound. It's just, uh, and he really gets up on, uh, to, when he shoots it at the peak. Boy, he's he's terrific. And uh, look, Tennessee is one of going to be top eight. I mean, he's going to, they're going to be a two seed probably, and they are a national championship contender. I think they could win it all. Uh, I, th- I know Tennessee fans and Tennessee haters 
Would that include Chris Edmo? Uh, no, we, we are Tennessee fans. <laughs> All right. Uh, have their doubts because of the, 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 the lack of success. But I think Tennessee fans should feel uh, that they are a contender for a national title this year. That's a single elimination tournament. Weird things happen. Heck, FDU beats everybody. Purdue. Yeah. You know? Heck, everybody's a contender for this year's national title, Joe. Well, <laughs> if you get in the tournament, you got a shot bad as this season. <laughs> I think in the, end, you know, in the end, Chris, you might find like a long shot that sneaks into the final four. But in the end, who's going to win the national championship is one of those teams ranked in the top 10 right now. That's how it always happens. Absolutely. We'll have upsets. Uh, some a Cinderella too make some advances, but in the end, who's cutting down the nets is going to be not. It's not going to be unexpected. Sure, Joe Sullivan, NashvilleHoops.blog. Don't forget to visit the website and learn more about what's going on in Middle Tennessee collegiate hoops. Plenty going on, and of course, again tonight on the SEC Network, catch Georgia at Vanderbilt. Uh, Joe, are you going to that? So I normally would, but this time of year, I think the Belmont game is more important. So I am going to uh, be in front of my laptop to watch Belmont Drake. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, obviously I'll check up on Vanderbilt. I'll have an eye on it. But, uh, TV and laptop, you know, I got two screens. Drake, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Uh, and, Joe, as we mentioned last week, Drake, you know, now they're sitting there 13-3, and smackly tied with Indiana State, a team that looked like it was going to run away with that league a couple of weeks ago. Boy. Indiana State, what a bad week that was for them. That's really uh, after you finally get ranked. Uh, they're in a slump, too. I mean, like, like, like we talked about Moorhead State. That I think, you know, it's a long season in a sense. I, I know that sounds cliche, but there are teams hit valleys, and uh, it seems like Indiana State hit theirs at the wrong time. They've got to re-energize uh, pretty quickly because they're only four games away from the from the uh, Arch Madness, uh, which will be uh, – it's going to be very interesting, I think. I'm looking forward to that. The Missouri Valley Conference, the A-10, those are conferences that are always fun to watch this time of year because you know you're going to get two or three really good games. Uh, and, and then, of course, once the conference tournaments start, they always deliver. So watching those will be fun, and we'll keep up with it, of course, here on Main Street Sports Today and through – Joe Sullivan. Joe, as always, we appreciate it. If you Thanks have so much for having me. Always great fun. Yeah. Make sure to follow him at Globe Sullivan because he always brings the heat on Twitter for sure. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break, Wade. And when we come back, we will talk about the NCAA and we'll catch up with me from yesterday so stick around we'll be right back after this we thrive under the lights the city of performers putting on one heck of a show headlining night after night. Welcome to Smashville. Whether you're an athlete or a weekend warrior, when it comes to your performance, don't settle for anything less than excellence. We're proud to announce that Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic is now Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. 
where we are redefining sports medicine and orthopedics. Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance's team of expert sports medicine physicians understands the unique demands of your body. TOA Columbia specializes in personalized orthopedic care, offering state-of-the-art treatments for everything from sports injuries to joint replacements. Learn more at toacolumbia.com. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. Your favorite wine tasting experience is back. The Hendersonville Rotary Club's Wine and Roses Fundraising Gala. Everything you loved and more. Saturday, March the 2nd. Prepare your taste buds for elegant wines, smooth whiskeys, craft beers, and exceptional food. Browse through the silent auction. All to benefit over 25 local charities, schools, and scholarships. Wine and Roses. Saturday, March the 2nd at Our Lady of the Lake Catholic Church, Hendersonville. HendersonvilleRotary.org. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. We are back here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance of Columbia. Glad to have you guys with us as it is Wild and Wacky Wednesday, the weirdest and wildest news from across the world, literally across the world, or at least across the pond. Got a couple of stories from the old country, as Mm. Andy Griffith would call it. So should be fun, should be fun. But first, we talk about the NCAA as Charlie Baker, commissioner of the NCAA, told ESPN he is against transfer regulations, whether they be via rules or 
from Congress. Now, that's interesting because the NCAA is currently fighting some court battles <laughs> in yep. regards to transfer regulations. So, I mean, is he trying to save some some money here? Are they going to pull out of those? Well, I don't know exactly what the what the play is here, but obviously there is a current uh, ruling or uh, I guess a stay in the case where uh, I think it was a, is it a West Virginia or a Marshall player of some sort? Uh, One of those teams had a player who was ruled ineligible and um, a judge had, had recently ruled that all transfer rules were, null and void until the case played out. And now Baker says, I don't even like rules anyway. Who needs rules? Who needs rules, right? Um, It's like kind of like Mo and I touched on the other day. It just feels like so much of the NIL and so much of the conference realignment and so much of the college football playoff is kind of just getting the table set right now that these are kind of the fertile years and these are kind of the wild wild west years mm-hmm. and any i'm not surprised really by any headline or any story that comes out of this because i think we're looking at five six seven eight years down the road before really we kind of start churning into the new normal and so this is kind of just another story uh to me that pops out um and NCAA kind of just – it almost feels like for the first time, too, that they don't have as much control as they would like or they think that they they have. And so it kind of feels like they're kind of just grasping at things, in a sense. Or – me, at least. Or giving up. Yeah, I mean, in some respects, also that. I mean, and here's the thing is if they give up, I mean, what does that do to college sports? I mean, having – Having the ability, of course, to transfer at any, you know, at any point would certainly, I think, exacerbate one of the issues that we are seeing in college sports that coaches, I think it was Will Hall of Southern Miss who said last week that he has zero football in his life right now because all of it is recruiting, not just recruiting players to come, but also recruiting players to stay. And, you know, you take all transfer regulations out. And I'm not saying that players shouldn't be able to, to go if, you know, in the event a coach retires or leaves your program. I think that the way that it's currently set up is decent. But, you know, right now they're basically saying doesn't matter. Leave when you want. Go play where you want. And that to me just feels like it's going to it's going to decrease the level of play because again coaches are less worried about you know football or basketball and more worried about just keeping the best players on their roster yeah and in this particular story also i i feel like the ncaa and by extension obviously charlie baker it seems like they're wanting to avoid uh Congress wanting to avoid the Supreme Court. They're wanting to avoid lawsuits and establishing. seems like they always want to operate in this gray area where they control kind of all the power. And when you start establishing state or federal rules, 
that's just sucks all the power away from them and in terms of their governance. And it just seems like, yeah, the less rules on the books, the better in the grand scheme of things for the NCAA, because that allows them to kind of move and operate under that shadow of darkness like they kind of have, have grown used to over the years. That may be it. Maybe this is a a a ploy to make people think, oh, well, they're if, if they don't want transfer rules and we'll, or laws, we're not going to make any laws. And then once they decide not to make laws, the NCAA steps in and makes their rules. That's that's to me the now the more that I'm reading uh, and kind of processing the story is, I think the NCAA wants to avoid any sort of official mandates or laws on the state or federal books because, again, they don't want to have to deal with the headaches and they control all the power whenever things are not established at the state or federal level, in my opinion. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, God forbid the NCAA not have all the power. I mean, that's the whole the whole setup, right? The whole guys is they're the governing body. They're the entity that controls everything. And the second we go beyond that, and they all of a sudden have to adhere to, again, state or federal statute, kind of seems like their power is, is taken away. And once their power is kind of taken away, kind of like a, a mythological villain in a movie or tale, once you kind of land that first blow on them, Everybody's like, wait a second, we got a little, we got a little confidence here. We got a little something we can work with here, and it just seems like the NCAA is kind of prime for the for the picking for that first shot to kind of get taken whenever they have to adhere to some of these uh, bigger picture uh, landscaping decisions. I'll tell you, it is it, it is certainly bears watching when you're talking about the NCAA and, and, and any court cases that may be taking place. So I, I don't know that this ends with freedom of movement completely, but I also don't know that it ends with the NCAA having all the control. I don't know where that, where, where the middle is, but I feel like there's a middle somewhere and we're going to find out here in the next 12 months. Yep. And that's the other thing too, is NCAA also great at, Oh, well, we're going to work with Congress. We're going to work with uh, local lawmakers to ensure the best for our student athletes. And then the second they kind of back their uh, positions off, that's when the NCAA, like you said, kind of goes in and makes their own uh, rule book. Well, that was the point of hiring Charlie Baker. I mean, he's a former governor. He understands how laws are made, how the sausage is made in those situations. That's They wanted someone who could negotiate with Congress and other mm -hmm. uh, lawmakers. And so, you know, hiring Charlie Baker, that was the, the literal reason <laughs> that they did it. So uh, I'm curious, and this may be, again, this may be him playing, uh, playing the card. So should be interesting. Real quick. Mentioned Eli Gold out at Alabama. Not a retirement, by the way. Uh, he tells Mike Dubberly, formerly of Fox 6 in Birmingham, that the university did not want him to return, and he is not retiring. He is, in fact, currently the voice of the Birmingham Bulls of the Southern Professional Hockey League. He is also planning to be the voice of the Arena Football League's Nashville Cats and was was the voice of the Nashville Cats in their first two iterations. So 
there is that. But did want to mention yesterday your top five. Great segment. Yeah. Uh, the Wire. I also have not seen The Wire. Uh, I am in the same boat with Mo. Uh, but do plan to to pick it up after I uh, and and I'm gonna. My, my number one, and I don't, I don't know if, I don't remember if one, either of you guys said this one, but uh, my number one would have been Fargo. Yeah, that was on my list. So Fargo is, I, I watched season five yeah. first and then went back to one and now I'm in the middle of two. Fantastic show. That's the cool thing. And I forgot to mention that to Mo yesterday. The cool part is, yeah, you can watch them in really any order. And there are a few little Easter eggs kind of thrown in that you might miss otherwise, but you're really not missing much in the grand scheme of things if you watch them in any sort of order. So electric series. Good call by you, my friend. Yeah, it was. It, it, we, we just started watching it at the house and I, I've really enjoyed it. So uh, also wanted to mention just real quick on the the playoff situation boy college football playoff is is going to be fun to watch i'm excited about 12 teams i think i think they did it right i think they got it right i think this is the way it ought to be a lot of folks saying that you shouldn't have auto bids at all but in my opinion i think winning your conference ought to matter and and i understand a lot of folks who say you know the Big Twelve is really just a group of five conference at this point? I, I can I can certainly understand that that thought process, mm-hmm. and I do think that there are a lot of group of five teams who could win the Big Twelve on any given year. Yeah, uh, but they'll have a chance to prove it on the field. So let them. Uh, and here's the thing: I mean, it doesn't mean that the Big Twelve or the ACC champ is going to be one of the top four rated i mean a group of five could certainly get a top four buy if two lanes undefeated and you know three loss iowa state wins the big 12 who knows so should be interesting i'll be curious to see how how it all plays out let's take a real quick break when we come back the weirdest and wildest news from across the world literally right after this I'm Maurice Patton, and on Main Street Sports Today, we bring you the voices of your favorite teams from preps to pros. Um, otherwise known as the bot, Mike Keith. The, the bottom line is, we can teach Will Levis woke. I just don't know who's going to work with you on your base stealing now that he was. <laughs> well, that has nowhere to go but up. And I was like, oh, guys, not again. Can we just bury that, burn that footage, and not bring it back? No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll uh, we'll keep it going past the All-Star break. And uh, looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season plays out. There's always a good story to tell. Can you guess where I am today, Mo? Where, where am I? It's, it's Reece not Smith, Reece Smith, Smith, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So anytime you play Chicago, you want to win. That's just you, you got that right. And <laughs> it's be, it's be a buzz. 
You know, when you're walking the dog, you keep the bags that you need for the dog in the bag, and you don't even have to wear it. You can just hold it, which is what I do when I walk the dog. So I think I think the fanny pack probably needed a little rebranding. <laughs> it did. So, it really did. Um, it, it, on your show logo, we've got to get a puck in there. There's a basketball. There's a oh. there's a baseball. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not a puck. How about Mo brandishes a hockey stick? Tune in daily at 2 p.m. on Main Street Media TV. That was weird. Um, my, I don't know. Can you hear me? Yeah, I got you. It's kind of it, it's it's doing some you know shorting magic, out type things. Magical so, microphone. Yeah, it's it's rough. But uh, so let's go to Texas first. How you? How about that? Okay. A man in Spring, Texas, was arrested for a crime that is well asinine to some degree, as. He was arrested for taking items for sale at an antique store and not stealing them. No. No, Mitchell Vest was arrested February 15th on charges of criminal mischief stemming from incidents that occurred on February 10th where he was observed allegedly taking items in antique stores and placing them in his rectum. I knew you were going there and I was afraid you were going there. And I still don't like the fact that you went there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. You know how it was so easy for him? Well, he donned a kilt. Oh, so a little, so, uh, a little next strategy. Next time you go into an antique store. Yeah. Next time you go into I've an got, antique store, watch out. I've got some Scottish friends too, so... Uh, I got to keep my eyes peeled yeah, next time you. we go into one. Uh-oh. There we are. Wait, are you back? Yeah, can you hear me? You were for a second, then you weren't. Oh, this Uh-oh. is fun. Keep going, yeah, I can hear you. All right, well, I can't hear you, but I'll keep going if you can hear me. A motorist in England calls police to report he's too drunk to drive. Police said that man calls the police to report he is a drunk driver. It's not every day this happens when officers arrived, the 52-year-old man was in a van on the side of the road. A breath test revealed that, well, he was, in fact, too drunk to drive three times over the legal limit. (laughs) He was held in custody and released after being charged. uh, And is now out on, uh, not on bond. He, he, he will, he will have a court date later, but so, yeah, guess it doesn't necessarily pay to be honest. He could have just, you know, been quiet and hoped that no one drove by and saw him hanging out. But we stay in England and Olney Olney. I hope that's, that's right. Women right. in matching checkered aprons, not kilts. Big Important distinction. Yeah. Yep. You don't understand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Checkered aprons, headscarves, and a rainbow of running shoes limbered up Tuesday as they prepared for the centuries old pancake race in the English country town of Olney. They rolled their shoulders in unison, raised up on their toes, and did squats before stepping to the starting line. 
frying pans in hand. At the word go, they sprinted through the streets, trying not to drop their pancakes as they roughly traced the path taken by a harried housewife in 1445, who legend has it heard the church bell signaling the Shrove Tuesday service and raced off with skillet in hand. It's a horrible distance, says Kaisa Larkas, 44, a mother of four, who legged it past Eloise Kramer to capture the only title with a time of 63.37 seconds. It can't be that far if it only takes you 63 seconds to get there, right? That's it. Come on. You're you're a runner. I mean, (laughs) 63 seconds. How, How far did they really go? Yeah, I got my doubts on that, partner. Uh little little suspect you know you never can tell what's going on across the pond and uh they they always got something going on and that seems just a little suspicious right so there you have it that is your wild and wacky stories for wednesday i could go on i will i will refrain from getting any wilder or wackier here on wednesday tomorrow uh yeah the 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 other story that i've got involves a florida man but it is insanely gross and i just can't do it um i'll give you the headline though but i won't won't read any more than the headline doctors remove 150 live bugs from florida man's nose yeah that just makes your stomach turn don't it anyway um tomorrow Wade just dipped out on us, he said. He said, that was enough for me. I got to go. <laughs> I, can't, I can't handle the live bugs. Sorry. Jerry Palm joins us. It's Coach's Corner. All of that coming your way on Main Street Sports Day, presented by Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance. Again, I'm Chris Yow. Uh, thanks to Wade Neely, Mo Patton. We'll have you covered from Notre Dame tonight, where Columbia Academy and Notre Dame will be playing in the division two state tournament make sure to follow at mopat underscore sports at chris yow 14 at wade neely of course here back i'll be back with you guys on friday we've got a couple of great interviews set up for friday terry mccormick will join us of course each and every day but we also have uh from the american flag football league we plan to have nick harvey former fairview stand out and now member of the nashville nighthawks all of that coming your way tomorrow on main street sports day presented by tennessee orthopedic alliance of columbia once again for wade neely and mark on the controls we appreciate you as well mo Patton back with you tomorrow i'm chris yow saying have a great day we'll see you then